if it was the gray or not um it it that's the one that has i've written remove one point in there <laughs> welcome to Recotopia, a happy home for recommended movies shows and music from two people you can definitely trust trustability varies by region no guarantee is implied Now, here are your hosts, Chris Atkinson and Jeremy Scott. All you rookies that are just coming on as slot contenders, I want y'all to breathe in this beautiful vista. Breathe it in deeply. Because after y'all get baptized, you're never going to be able to look out into the wilds and see that pure beauty again. We got the extra long countdown that time. Yeah. 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 I had time to put on pants. That's right. Yeah. Me too. Me too. Um, (laughs) uh, This is Recotopia episode 15. 15. Wow. That's Um, a lot. Yeah, (sighs) it is a lot. And um, uh, I'm Chris Adkinson. And I'm Jeremy Scott. And uh, yeah, today's big recommend is going to be Only the Brave. Um, Only the Brave. And uh, acknowledging uh, the people watching us live right now uh, uh, in the chat, thank you for once again coming and uh, and listening to us and tolerating us. We enjoy the fact that you tolerate us more than anything. Um, <laughs> uh, but uh, anyway, uh, do we want to go on with some small recommends? It's no big deal. It's so small and light. It's small, it's tiny, it's petite, it's wee. Let's do the small recommends. It's... I'm going to jump right in here because yeah. I have a lot to talk about. Okay. My brother was here recently for a couple of days, and usually uh, his whole family is here. So <clears throat> if we have movie watching time, uh, it's usually a very specific kind of film. Mm-hmm. Um, but with it just being him, we could watch whatever. So we decided to watch some of the recent uh, Academy Award nominated films that we had not seen. And we started with Nightmare Alley. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, this is a two thumbs up total recommend. Um, this is Guillermo del Toro in a movie that doesn't really have any weird creatures, mm-hmm. which s- surprised me. I. I just have filed this guy in my mind as guy who likes funky creatures, and I tend to expect them in his films. Even Shape of Water, which won Best Picture, has a weird creature in it. Uh, yeah. So I, I just ignored this one, and mostly it was my brother's pushing that led me to decide to watch it. I loved this movie. This mm. movie is about uh, mentalism, uh, psychology, uh, trauma, uh fooling people, fooling ourselves, it's just got a lot of layers, uh, and I just found it very surprising. Uh, I never really knew where it was going to go next, and uh, the performances are all really good, and then it just has an incredible ending that just gave me chills mm-hmm. in the best way possible. Yeah. Um, so if, for, if you're like me you and you're avoiding this movie uh, because you thought it might be one thing, uh, maybe give it a shot because uh, this is my favorite movie from this director um, from his entire catalog, and I have already bought it uh, and intend to make it a regular watch. Yeah. So, I, uh, Nightmare Alley. Yeah, I've seen the uh, original movie, and I've seen this one. 
Um, the original uh, is, of course, going to have uh, a lot of, uh, of fans and people who don't like this new version, new interpretation of it. I mean, they're essentially the same movie with some 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 differences. Uh, the ending, for sure, is one of them, but um but uh i you know i saw the original just before i watched the new version and i came out liking the new version better and i don't know if that's just because um there's just something about i don't know (laughs) you would think that the classic movie would be way better than the remake or whatever but like in this case i i liked the um modern filmmaking sensibilities uh on on this more than i you know the, the original but uh but i i still need i th- i think i need to rewatch both of them uh at some point i know i loved this one uh but i'm wondering if i left the, that that new nightmare alley with that powerhouse ending and going was it good because of that ending or was it good all the way through until that ending I mean, was it bad? Was it was it okay until that ending? So I, you know, I, I kind of want to see it again because it, it it may I may get some more out of it on a on a new on a second viewing. Well, what what have you got for us? I I play so much Elden Ring, guys. I play so much of this. I'm trying to I'm trying <laughs> to finish it. I'm actually at a point where I'm like, all right, I'm ready to go and just get this thing just done already. I got 260 hours on this movie, on this on this game. So I haven't been able to watch very many movies, but I have been keeping up with some TV shows and some stuff that I'm sure I've recommended in the past. But uh, in the midst of uh, playing all this Elden Ring, I totally did not hear that Atlanta came back. Um, oh. uh, and in uh, the first two seasons of this uh, is extremely unique television. Uh, it is... Um, it's uh it's outstanding and this new season of it came back like it and it just didn't miss a beat um this time uh the the uh the characters are all in europe and they're experiencing it, the, the show does some really interesting things with narrative there's not really there's some a lot of times it's you think this show is about one thing but it goes on this huge like metaphorical trip or something during it um uh that it, it, it this this show is exploring racism like i haven't seen in a while like think about the kind of racism that you see in get out uh it's a whole other new kind of stuff that you've ne- maybe never thought of before especially mm-hmm. if you're like me and you're you know a white guy um mm-hmm. And a lot of the episodes in this are just, they're surreal. They're funny. A lot of these people have become like so huge since Atlanta had its hiatus whenever the last season was, which had to have been like three years ago. I I think it was something like that. Uh, But you think about all the people who are in this, like Lakeith Stanfield, who's like a, a, you know, now a name guy and you see in movies all the time. Brian Tyree Henry is another guy that you see all the time in movies. Zazie Beetz, another one that's just been around. And of course, Donald Glover. And um, and uh, it's just these shows are so unique. I can't really explain what they do. They mesmerize you with how 
Uh, think about how a lot of the opening scenes of Breaking Bad would, would, I'm not saying this show is like Breaking Bad, but like Breaking Bad would always have those like full on eight to 10 minute cold opens a lot of times where you're just like mesmerized. And, And by the time the commercial break hits, you're like, wow, 15 minutes just went by. Didn't have any idea. This is like what these shows are like. Each episode is Mm. like goes through and you're like, whoa, 30 minutes just passed. Oh my God. And there's even two episodes in here that don't even feature the main cast. There's two episodes that are just completely, there's, there's been discussion as to whether the show could be an anthology series at some point. Cause it's, cause there's been two episodes where it didn't even, didn't even focus on the main cast at all, uh, including one episode. And I will, I will give a trigger warning on one of these. Um, mm. There's one episode starring Justin Bartha where uh, where an actual system of reparations is created in, in this world where uh, if your family way back in the day owned slaves and, and someone can prove that they're a descendant of those slaves, they can sue you for reparations and so like the whole the whole episode is like what would this world be like um if if uh if this were to happen so it's just it's just i don't know these these it i just love watching these i'm uh as soon as i found out that atlanta had come back and it came back in like march or whatever there were seven episodes for me to watch and i am all the way caught up to the eighth episode that came out so that's how that's how breezy and fast you, you can get through all this stuff and it's just unique stuff i highly recommend awesome awesome donald glover is one of those it's a very rare person that talks smack about their own work but backs it up mm-hmm. like before this season i remember two three years ago him saying the next season of atlanta is going to be better than the sopranos mm-hmm. and i was like man <laughs> come on dude yeah and it sounds like he has at least come close to that at least in spirit um he's an incredibly talented guy uh, mm-hmm. and i have not seen atlanta but it's uh, long been on my list of shame so I- and i i don't i don't think you'll you'll be disappointed um in any of this like i said the one with justin bartha has a has a trigger warning to it but um uh, I would say, well, I don't know if you would say it's been done in good taste, but it is, there is, a, it, the scene is done in the background essentially, but, um, the, uh, it's just, it's just unique stuff, especially the, just the fact that they're in Europe and they're experiencing a different kind of, you know, European racism in this movie. Um, mm. and just finding way, new ways to explore these characters and everything. It's just, I, I, it it can it can it's just it's i don't even know what to, how to classify these things like if you cut it's not straight comedy it's not really a drama ever i mean there's a drama i guess occasionally but it's it's just surreal and just interesting and fun to watch so mm-hmm. all right so far two great recommends let's, mm-hmm. let's not let it down my mm-hmm. next mm-hmm. small recommend another recent oscar nominee that i watched with my brother belfast oh yeah love this um i don't know what i was expecting i really don't um but i also was really ignorant um of the historical context of the setting of this movie which is in belfast where some protestants are violently trying to get catholics out of their neighborhood 
Um, and it's a kind of bigotry that I'm privileged enough to have not been familiar with. Mm-hmm. This, this, it's, it's almost <sighs> parallel to American racism in the, in the vitriol that these people have mm-hmm. for Catholics because yeah. they're of a different uh, religion. Mm-hmm. And the whole film is a, basically this one family who has lived in Belfast all their lives. Everyone there knows them. They all look out for each other on this street, trying to figure out if they can stay living here because uh, eventually the military's called in and, or if they have to leave and, and move to England. Uh, but it's all through the eyes of their young son. And this movie doesn't work if you don't cast this kid perfect. Mm-hmm. He is adorable yeah. with a capital holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he's written to make these wonderfully childlike, you know, observations. Like he wants to be Catholic because they can do whatever they want for several weeks and then just go and confess it and they come out pure and then they can just go do whatever they want for several weeks and then go confess it. Mm. Whereas he as a Protestant, he has to be good all the time Mm -hmm. and he doesn't like that. Uh, And he has a conversation with his cousin where they try and figure out if you can tell who's Catholic or Protestant based on their name. Yeah. um, Their first name. Um, and don't get me wrong, there's a lot of serious stuff going on in the background, and some of it the kid kind of understands, and some of it he doesn't. Um, and his dad is Jamie Dornan, um, who is probably still best known for Fifty Shades of Grey, which is a crime because he's a really good actor. Yeah. Um, his mom is the woman from Outlander and Ford v. Ferrari, who I'm not going to try and pronounce her name because mm. it's complicated. Mm-hmm. She's a tremendous actress. Yep. And... Uh, Judy Dench is almost unrecognizable mm-hmm. as the kid's grandmother. Uh, and is it Syrian Hines or Kyrian Hines? Uh, I, it's one of those like names that we, we can't pronounce. We're Americans. Um, uh, I, I have, Excellent. I have, I have seen this name, uh, how you're supposed to pronounce it before, but I don't remember what it was. So I don't, I would, I would not want to venture. Uh, <laughs> so I, I done screwed up either, either way. Uh, he's great in the film. Uh, and this is directed by Kenneth Branagh, and it's a semi-autobiographical film. I will say, if you hate Van Morrison songs, don't watch this <laughs> movie. Because there are approximately 13 of them. Um, and after the third, I looked up to confirm, yes, Van Morrison is from Belfast. Mm. Uh, and it, the movie even opens with this loving drone shot of modern Belfast before it comes down below a bridge and morphs to black and white uh, to go back in time. This is a love letter to the this, this city. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love the way he chooses to use color. Uh, it's always what they're watching on either a movie screen or stage play. Mm-hmm. And even when it, they're watching a stage play, it cuts back to the audience and the, the play reflected in Judy Dench's glasses is in color, even though the whole shot is in black and white. Mm-hmm. Um, I just really, really enjoyed this. I yeah. thought it was really heartwarming, and that kid carries the whole movie. Uh, and it's short, too. In this age of everything being two and a half hours long, this is like 99 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, just a really solid A um, comic drama period piece. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I, I really enjoyed this. It's one of those... 
it doesn't have like a really like an overarching plot or anything. It's kind of a, a you know, an episode, like several episodes in this kid's life on his way yeah. to growing up and everything. And, uh, and I, I really, really, uh, enjoyed it as well. This is the best Kenneth Branagh movie in a long time. Branagh, For sure. uh, you know, got into Marvel and got into, he got into stuff that wasn't really him. I don't think, I mean, he, I think those we forget a lot of times that directors or performers a lot of times take directing jobs for money as well not just acting jobs yeah. and i think branna did that quite a bit to fund something like a belfast later on in life because he did a lot of movement artemis fowl and all this stuff that came yeah. out and thor yeah. and whatever and it's just like these get no, we don't really see any distinguishable Kenneth Branagh in these movies at all. But, you know, hey, if you're going to get a good paycheck out of it, why not, right? Yeah. So, um, uh, uh, staying on TV, and, and I know I know some people are asking if we're going to bring back, starting now, uh, the Barry podcast. Um, but uh, the third season of Barry is going on right now. It's three episodes in. I don't know if we'll ever come out, back with that podcast or not. Um, it's on the table. I'm just saying we don't have plans for it right now. Um, but I'd love to, cause I loved deep diving into each of these episodes. Um, the, this one, uh, this third season has, uh, has Barry played by, uh, Bill Hader, um, at odds with Gene Cousineau played by, uh, Henry Winkler. Um, because Gene was given a revelation at the end of the second season that uh, sort of changes their relationship in the third season. And uh, seeing how Barry is dealing with uh, his emotions, which is a very complex thing, considering he's a um, somebody who's been grizzled by war and he became an assassin afterwards and all that, is is a is a thing where we're almost seeing the breaking bad of barry basically here mm. Mm. um because he is our protagonist in this show but he's also not very likable at this point um he is uh there's a point where he goes to his girlfriend played by sarah goldberg and screams at her to get her get gene into a show that she's now creating and producing and and that she can't, she, her hands are tied on, can't, can't cast somebody like Gene because uh, of his past. Cause he's a, he's such a dickhead in the past. Um, and so there's a whole bunch of stuff that's ramped up in this new season of Barry. I'm very interested to see where this goes. Uh, uh, and, uh, I think this could end up being one of the, it, it probably one of it, it's probably his best season yet. If they're, if it's going where I'm thinking it's going, it, it's amazing to see somebody like Bill Hader who has, I, I, we all knew we he had this in him. I think if you, even if you saw his comedy stuff, you knew he had the acting chops to do this type of thing. I just think it's a miracle that he ended up being in a show. Like, I mean, he created, he helped create this show. So but I think it's a miracle that he ended up, you know, being in a show like this where he could show a real dynamic range. And he's mostly serious. I mean, he gets laughs a lot of times because he doesn't understand things a lot of times. But uh, it's he he is quite amazing uh, in this. And this show is just uh, I can't I can't uh, I can't recommend it enough. It's so good. Well, I uh, 
I have an odd perspective here. I watched the first half of the first season of Barry, mm-hmm. and I don't remember the circumstances, but it wasn't disinterest, but I fell off. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> I have not watched any of the rest since. I intend to go back and do a full rewatch. But the other day, yesterday, I wanted to watch the final episode of Winning Time on HBO. Ah, uh, yes. A, a second time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they were rerunning it. And there was nothing else I wanted to have on, so I just had it on that channel, and there was an episode of Barry before that show came mm-hmm. on. So it's like the third episode of Barry's third season. Mm-hmm. And I watched it, completely clueless how we went from episode four, season one, to here. Mm-hmm. But I was riveted. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. was absolutely riveted. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a testament to at least the performances uh, and, and how those characters can pull you in. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right. <clears throat> I think it's time for... The Big Recommend. The Big Recommend. I'm fine, I'm fine. It's just that you're so big. It's so huge. It's a good rule, but this is bigger than rules. It's bigger on the inside. Is it? I noticed. All right, this week we punch you in the gut. How did everyone survive the gut punch? Mm -hmm. Um, I showed this movie to my brother uh, during the same marathon film festival as a way to both show him an amazing movie, and also do my homework mm-hmm. for today's podcast. I didn't have to probably watch this movie again. I've seen it a dozen times at this point. Wow. I know it inside and out. Um, but I will ask before diving in, what did Chris think of Only the Brick? <laughs> no, I, I did I did really enjoy this movie. I will say I am I'm, I'm typically... Not as high on these based on a true story survival movies that much. I don't know why that is. Um, uh, but this is a really good one. This is a really good mm-hmm. one. I, I don't want to, you know, say that, oh, I was let down by this movie by any stretch because <laughs> I, I knew what I was getting into uh, sure. watching this. And, uh, and it's always, uh, it's always interesting to hear about something that you there's you don't really think about these jobs very often. Right. Um the that's the that's the that's the real interesting key point for me uh is to learn about something that yeah, you don't you don't think about the people who go out there and fight forest fires or you know or anything like that. We've we've had a million fire firefighter movies, but they don't usually d- discuss this kind of firefighting. Um, no. And so I think it's really interesting that, uh, uh, entourage made a parody of a movie like this. I don't know if you remember, there was a whole season where he was going to play uh, the movie was called smoke jumpers. Oh yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. And it was like wildfire fighters and he was like on location for a bunch of the drama. Uh, but only the brave is based on a true story. And if you do research going in, like my wife is reading the book. She's going to know before starting the movie what she's going to see. Mm-hmm. My brother only knew that it was a true story. Mm-hmm. So this is a story of the first um, <clears throat> municipal um, <clears throat> squad of hot shots, uh, which are uh, the cream of the crop of wildfire firefighters. Before that, and part of the movie's arc is they're just trainees. Uh, they have all their hours, they have all their certifications, but when they go out to fight fires, uh, they're always superseded by the other hotshot groups who are more important uh, than they are. <clears throat> and uh, 
you have uh, Josh Brolin playing the head, the soup, the mm-hmm. superintendent of this group of firefighters. And you have Miles Teller um, playing um, a junkie uh, who finds himself a father and has to straighten out. Uh, that is his basically rock bottom. Um, <clears throat> and one of my favorite things about this movie is the relationship those two have. Um, Josh Brolin, from minute one in the interview, pegs Teller as a user. He says, when was the last time you used? Uh, this is because, as you will learn subtly, um, Josh Brolin's character used to be uh, an addict. Mm-hmm. Um, and he sees, you know, a path for this job to save this kid's life just like it did for him. Um, and you will see them over the course of, it's about a year, year and a half, um, as they train and finally get certified and fight several fires. All of the fires in the film are real fires that this crew really fought. Um, and then you see some of the character growth at home as, you know, Miles Teller uh, is trying to do right and bring groceries for his, you know, baby mama and take care of his little kid and eventually starts to be able to spend time with, you know, the child, uh, gain the respect of the child's mother. Mm-hmm. My favorite relationship in the entire film is Josh Brolin and Jennifer Connelly. Mm-hmm. Um, feels like one of the most realistic marriages I've ever seen on film. Mm-hmm. Um, because they have plenty of conflict. They even have a few fights or arguments. But you never doubt that they love each other completely. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the things they are fighting about are real things. Yeah. There's a moment in the truck where he slams on the brakes and they have a fight in the truck where she says, yeah, I didn't want kids before. I do now. I changed. That's mm-hmm. what relationships do. I've been changed by you. Mm-hmm. I let you in and now I'm a different person. Right. Um, just really powerful stuff that I think grounds this movie so that when the tragedy hits, uh, you know, you're affected by it. Mm-hmm. You've, you, you've come to see these people as, you know, humans that you care about. My poor brother thought either Brolin or Teller was going to die. He did not expect the number of firefighters who died to die. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, I said, that I would have warned you, but I don't know if it's as effective if I warned you. Um, and, and I don't think it is. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you have to end this story this way because this is how this story actually happened. Mm-hmm. Um <clears throat> I cut you off to rave for 10 straight minutes. What else do you want to say? No, don't worry about it. This is your choice. Um, Mm. uh, I, um, so yeah, the relationship you're talking about with Brolin and Connolly there, the, the interesting thing is how they sort of foreshadow or, or, or I don't know if it's foreshadowing, but they, they show her, they, they love, she loves rescuing horses. Um, and, and this is where you start, start to see where, oh, this is where her need for kids may be coming into her mind is that she, as hard as it is to get a horse back, who's been like cut and all the shreds at a meth lab or whatever, Mm -hmm. um, uh, the, the reward for getting that horse back uh, is, is what is bringing her, bringing her into this whole, like, I, I'm a carer, I'm a nurturer, uh, yep. all these type of things. So like, you can see that in several moments where there is like saving horses in this movie. That's, that's a part of this movie is, is, yeah. you know, that's about, you know, forest fires and stuff. Um, the other thing that I like about this is Miles Teller's arc in this 
I think a lesser movie would make this where he, he has to relapse somewhere in it, yeah. even if that's not what happened. I don't know what really happened. Well, I, I don't, you know, who know, I don't know what happened actually in real life, but it seems more true to life. That's that's wrong to say because people do relapse, but sure, it seems more true to me that he doesn't in this movie. And they keep it there and it's done. It's that he had, he had this one thing that was a conflict. It has an arc to about the quarter part of the movie. And then, all right, now it's time to shape up. It's time to get in shape. It's time to learn how to do the things. Mm. And then he has another entirely different conflict, which is a conflict for all of these guys and that they're never around their families. Uh, mm. when they're out, I didn't realize this either. I didn't realize that, beating these kind of fires was something that took you away from your family that long. Yeah. Uh, you, you, I understand that, you know, these things, these fires rage for weeks and months. A lot of times I understand that, but, uh, I didn't know that there were so many and so many that happened, you know, in, you know, that happened enough that you, you just not around your family that much anymore. And, of course, I get into, I love all that training stuff. I love every yeah. bit of that. I love like that, that could be boring for some people, but I love it. And this is what, that's the reason why I wish in movies where there's a big, huge plan hatched and you're like, how the fuck did this person show up at this exact moment and this blah, blah, blah. Cause they didn't, they don't show the planning for it. And I love the planning in this, like all the, I never thought they had little, little like uh i don't know bags that they could put put yeah. them like to hopefully protect themselves from a fire if it were to go over them i didn't have yeah. any idea and they had, they had these drills that like try to get it done in 30 seconds and all that that find that riveting even though yeah for the most part when you see it it's not really any there's no stakes involved they're just training but i love Ooh. that i love that aspect of it um so yeah i, I I don't know. Miles Teller has this has this reputation now. We're like, oh fucking Miles Teller. I bet he was such a. <laughs> I bet he was such a pain on the set. I'm sure. I he. I bet he picked this junkie role for himself. He somehow found a way to slide into that role. He's probably stole it from Taylor Kitsch. Um, <laughs> but uh, but he's so good in this. This is this is he's so good in this. This is this is a perfect role for him. Um, and I do love, even though it's a very movie tradition that he and Taylor Kitsch hate each, uh, each other the first, and then Miles Teller ends up like showing how much of a good guy he is by letting Taylor Kitsch stay over at his place and they become the best friends in the entire movie. Um, uh, I don't know. Is this a, is this a flaw? I'm going to, I'm going to bring this up. Is this a flaw that I knew? I didn't, I didn't know the full story. I didn't know who survived, who died. I didn't know any of that. But when Teller gets on the truck at the end and drives away and he's waving by to Taylor Kitsch, a whole bunch of smoke fills the screen. Mm. And that's when you know that's the last time they'll see each other. Is, yeah. that a, <laughs> is that a good thing that they telegraph that? Or is it a bad thing? Because I, I, I think it's good, but I just, I, a lot of times I'm like, I hate the fact that I know this yeah. before it happens. I hate that. I think, I think, this is just a guess. I think he's trying to prepare you subconsciously for what's going to happen eight minutes after that. Mm -hmm. um, 
it is it is telegraphing. I think if you are the kind of person like you are that pays attention to storytelling, mm-hmm. um, but I don't think the average viewer is consciously tipped off in that moment for what's coming. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you're probably just a little more perceptive just because you have so many movies you've seen. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's uh, it's one of those weird things where I saw that and I was like, oh boy. Now, I don't know who's living or dying out of this, but those two right. are not seeing each other again. I know that for a fact. Um, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, just like, it's just like anything. And in, in, in like if you see a horror movie, you see a certain camera angle that they throw something at. You're like, okay, this is going to happen because this is what they always do with this camera angle. They, uh, yeah. you know, someone is going to have one of those head on car collisions with the way they shoot the, the person in the car. It always happens. Yeah. You know, it's going to happen. That's why it's so amazing when they are able to not telegraph it. But anyway, I think that is an artistic flourish enough that I liked it, but I was like, ah, yeah. now I know that they're, that's it. That's the last time they're going to see each other. Um, so, uh, anyway, um, yes, this is a, this is a, this is, this has, this is a better movie than I, than I thought it was like when this came out, I didn't really have much interest in it. This movie didn't do terribly like well, but I don't, I wouldn't say that it was like a bomb or anything like that. I don't know how much it cost, but it made like, I don't know here. It made like 18 million and worldwide. It was something like 50 million somewhere around there. Yeah. Um, yeah. it just felt like it was another generic survival story that we had seen a million times with Peter Berg and Mark Wahlberg, you know, doing exactly. the, those number of things. So that, uh, that's, so the that's title what it is not of, doing it. it no, well, that's what it sort of just uh, screamed to me was another one of those Peter yeah. Berg, Mark Wahlberg type of movies. Well, the title is as bland as possible. I don't think it's doing any favors to the movie either. Uh, I don't, I don't know why you don't just title it. Granite Mountain Hotshot, <laughs> yeah, something like. I mean, only the brave could literally be about World War One, right? Like, yeah. the title is not pointing you uh, where the the actual movie is. I do want to share one stupid piece of trivia, okay? Which is this is directed by Joseph Kaczynski, mm-hmm. who made Tron Legacy, mm-hmm. Oblivion, this movie, and now Top Gun Maverick, yeah, the sequel to Top Gun. He's made four feature films. And he has still made two films with Miles Teller, two films with Jennifer Connelly, two films with Tom Cruise, two films with Josh Brolin, and two films with Jeff Bridges. Yeah, <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> he likes uh, he likes who he likes. Yeah, uh, he's going to be one of those Christopher Nolan people, and that's fine with me. I like all four of his. Well, I haven't seen Top Gun Maverick. I like all three of his movies, um, and uh, I think now it's time to move on to the surprise uh-huh. double feature. Be very, very quiet. Secret. What secret? A dirty little secret. I tell you something I've never told anyone. So I ran the gamut on this one because there (laughs) are a lot of different kinds of movies. I, I mean, as something as far away as full metal jacket came up in, in my head. Um, just because of the training, uh, the training sequences and everything reminded me so much because, you know, uh, Miles Teller is playing, uh, Gomer Pyle, essentially he's playing Vincent D'Onofrio in this for, for a bit Mm. like not, Mm. you know, uh, um, I thought of, uh, of men of honor, the, uh, the Kevin Costner, Cuba, uh, no, Ashton Kutcher. Ashton Kutcher movie, um, uh, where they, you know, they go out. Is that, that's the movie, right? 
What is that movie? I think the title is not that. No, it's not Men of Honor. It's, oh God, what's that? But it's like the Coast Guard, the Coast Guard movie? movie. Yeah, I've seen that. I don't remember what that's called. Damn. damn uh yeah sorry guys gonna look this up real quick i'm sure somebody already knows what it is and they can just type it in for us it's not typing fast enough Mm -hmm. yeah what Uh, movie does kevin call the guardian the guardian that's another one that i thought right as it's typed there guardian is correct uh and 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 numerous i mean you know backdraft um uh just just and tons of these like deep heart water horizon and all the mm-hmm. these things that came up eventually i ended up on uh of course someone has chatted they put it in the chat uh the perfect storm is the movie ah. that ended up with the uh double feature on this um and uh this has has sort of the same sort of structure to it um you know in this in in the perfect storm uh Clooney George Clooney runs this I think it's swordfish that they're they're uh, they're fishing in this movie and they're it's like in the Narragansett whatever um and and they come back uh it's him it's Mark Wahlberg it's um John C Riley um there's a million people in this movie Diane Lane yeah, there are. Diane yep. Lane Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio anyway Clooney is a captain of this boat he comes back with a less than stellar uh, haul. Michael Ironside plays the owner of the boat, who's who's very strict on his money. Um, Clooney uh, realizing this is probably not going to last for the next uh, few months until the season starts again, decides he's going to go back two days later to uh, fish some more and uh, try to find the hot spot before the season's over. Uh, this is much to the chagrin of everybody who was on his boat and he, but he's basically like, you can guys, guys can go find another job. Then if you, if you don't want to come, uh, along on this, if you think the, the your meager amount that you made on this last thing is going to tide you over, then, you know, fuck you guys, whatever. <laughs> so he goes out there and uh, fishing is initially okay. And then it's, then it dries out. And then he decides he's going to go out to this farther part of the water that people are like, you know, that's, you know, that's everybody's a little worried about going out too far out into this area. Meanwhile, this perfect storm, which Christopher McDonald, very roll credits, uh, uh, says in this is pointing out that there are three systems, uh, approaching all in this one area, like a hurricane, another, you know, all these massive storms are about to meet into this one place to become the perfect storm. Um, and uh it's interesting uh, i i think it's i think i think the the it's interesting in this that you know certain the the perfect storm also pertains to what it, it metaphorically into how they get into this situation and and why they end up inside this perfect storm this this ship because if it's not for the fact that their ice machine that keeps the fi- the fish fresh uh, uh, during the trip, if it doesn't break, then Clooney doesn't think I need to haul ass back to shore and run through this storm to do it. Because otherwise, they're out in these clear waters. They can let the storm go by if they want to, but the fish would go bad if they if they decided to stay out there. So. The fact that an ice machine breaks because Michael Ironside is such a fucking, you know, uh, penny pincher, yeah. um, 
uh, they have to go back into it. And then of course it becomes the big, huge, like how are they going to survive the storm? Of course, of course they don't. Cause it's a true story. Um, yep. and, uh, so, uh, it's, uh, it's well-made it's Wolfgang Peterson, uh, mm-hmm. uh, and, uh, and a, and an unmistakable score from James Horner. You don't even need to see the credit. It's James Horner all the way. Uh, but, uh, I thought this was a perfect one. There's even, there's even a friendship that starts out of enemies in this too. Uh, William Fickner <laughs> and John C. Riley uh, are are uh, against each other at the beginning. Of course, they become best of friends by the end of it. So, uh, so yeah, it has even that. So, <clears throat> that's an excellent choice. For some reason, that movie had disappeared from my brain. Like I. Until you brought it up just now, or actually, I think I saw the comment from Josh Zero first, mm-hmm. but I had forgotten this movie existed. Uh, what, I, what I remember about this movie is, oddly, this was one I enjoyed walking into when it was a sold-out audience uh, during some of the really, at the time, these were absolutely groundbreaking visual effects. Um, and I yeah. think it's unfortunately, like, right before some new processor was built that because I don't think the effects on my TV would hold up quite as well as they did at the time. Mm-hmm. At the time, that was some real scary, real-looking, humongous waves, and the crowd was... I, you, you and I both like to walk in on crowds when yeah. they're laughing, laughing or what have you, but <clears throat> for some reason, I kept walking into this one to see how they would react to some of the storm elements. Mm-hmm. Uh, the movie reminded me of Twister in a lot of weird ways. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But uh, excellent pick, and uh, now that movie is back on my brain. I'm going to have to watch it. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. All right. What about our homework for listeners and for us? What are we watching, discussing next week? Homework for next week's Recotopia is a movie that popped in my mind, and I can just could not let it escape. I've seen it a million times, but I haven't seen it in years, and I want to revisit it now. Uh, but it's a long one, uh, but uh, it's well worth it. It's the insider. It's, uh, Michael Mann. Um, this is about the whistleblower at Brown and Williamson who tells 60 minutes, who does an interview with 60 minutes telling, uh, uh, hopefully trying to tell the world that, uh, cigarettes, uh, the people who make cigarettes are trying to make you addicted to them and, uh, and are withholding that from you know, from everybody. So there's actual, you know, he, this is a guy who worked with the, worked with the company intimately as their, as one of their scientists and couldn't do that in good conscience anymore. Um, but the, the drama of the insider comes from the fact that, uh, CBS doesn't want to run the, the segment because they're worried that they're going to get sued. And they also have a pending sale, with another cigarette company, um, uh, in the works. So talk about, uh, a movie with a million people in this, uh, Al Pacino at, uh, at his best in this. He, uh, is great. Russell Crowe is fucking amazing in this. Christopher Plummer is, is, uh, uh, unbelievable. There's just a million people in it, it uh, and it's great. Um, so uh, I can't wait to revisit it. I think, and we'll talk about it when we get there. But I think this movie also low key touches on 
what I feel is one of the biggest problems with our country these days. Um, mm. Um, mm. So we'll talk about that when we when we get there. So, yes, I love this movie. I have not seen it in probably ten years. Mm. Um, so I'm I'll, I'm excited to dive back in. Um, <clears throat> Let's move on to some questions. Yeah. Question. Question. I got something to say. I want the truth. I'm listening. Question number one. If you could give a Lifetime Achievement Oscar to one movie, not director, mm-hmm. goddamn you, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that was never nominated for an Oscar, what movie would you pick? So, I, I, I don't know if they mean not nominated for Best Picture or not nominated for any Oscars whatsoever. Um, so I went ahead and did two choices here. Nice. Um, the, uh, the, uh, the one that didn't get best picture nomination is a movie that we've discussed on the show. City of God did not get a best picture nomination. Um, uh, but it also got four nominations for other things. So it has, it did get Oscar nominated, uh, movie that got zero Oscars, uh, and would be in this, uh, discussion would be the shining um so zero oscar nominations and it and it's obviously a great movie so that's crazy mm-hmm. um man um i am going with zodiac yeah um, which as near as i can tell and i've researched this twice was not nominated for any academy award it was not um it nominated it was nominated for various critics associations awards and cities and it won something from Cannes film festival mm-hmm. um but no oscar nominations now would i trim 20 minutes from this movie yes i would um it's it's a little too long i think mm-hmm. but uh it's, I think, one of Fincher's best movies ever, and it just that scene where he goes to that guy's house and has the realization that he might be in the Zodiac Killer's house mm-hmm. is one of the creepiest, tensest scenes I've ever seen. Uh, I love me some Zodiac, and I feel like at least a supporting actor nomination for one of those guys. Um, no Robert Downey Jr., maybe. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Well, but uh, anyway, well, and uh, Zodiac somehow. Zodiac was one of these movies. I believe it came out in like February or March of that year, so it sort of got forgotten over mm-hmm. the year. One of the movies that I thought of for this at first was Wonder Boys, but it actually got nominated three times: one for song, oh wow, one for song, which it won the Bob Dylan song that's in there. But, um, but uh, I, I thought I thought Wonder Boys didn't get it. I knew as I was clicking put, t- typing Wonder Boys I was like I think that Bob Dylan song got nominated fuck but I was going to maybe, maybe <laughs> use that as an example since it would uh, it was only the song that got it but it got nominated two other times too so anyway stupid Bob Dylan stupid Bob Dylan uh, I see Nightcrawler over here in the chat yep um, yep yep Nightcrawler is nominated. a very good one too yeah because that I, I don't know it, see, yeah movies that dark just seem to never get uh the get play for some reason um yeah uh but yeah jake gyllenhaal should have been nominated for sure um yeah for sure yeah uh all right oh wait there's another one v for vendetta well yeah i could see at least some visual effects Mm -hmm. and maybe maybe... hugo weaving yeah 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 i like i love that movie Mm -hmm. so i'm i mean i'm here for all the awards for that yeah all right, what was the first... Oop, I skipped one. 
What is your favorite well, and least? Probably should skip this one because I didn't really answer it. I was sitting there trying to think of okay. uh, an answer for it, and I think we should do this question uh, in the future. In the future, I just right. I just need to come up with an answer. All right, I will leave that there, and we'll move on to what was the first movie that made you wonder how the filmmakers accomplished a particular shot? Mm. Mine is the scene in Prisoner of Azkaban where the camera appears to go through a mirror and into the reflection. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, similarly, the shot in Contact, a famous shot in Contact, mm. where Jenna Malone has to get the medicine for her dad, and it fo- the camera follows her, up the stairs, all the way down this long hallway, and then, what? We were in the mirror the whole time? Yeah. How the fuck did that happen? You know, yeah. that is a, an incredible shot. I've even seen how that shot was made, and I still don't know how that shot was made. Yeah. It's that yeah. fucking ridiculous. Uh, so, yeah, that one's that one's amazing. That's, that's an incredible shot. Um. I'm going to go with, uh, well, a bunch of scenes in the Raid 2. <laughs> yeah. seem to talk about all the time, but I saw this with my buddy Josh uh, at Opry Mills, and there's a scene with a car chase, and there's a moment in the car chase where the camera races back down the road to a car and then goes through the window and out the other window of the car and then races down the road further behind that car. And I literally turned to Josh right then and said, how the fuck did they do that? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, it was so flashy and yet so seamless. And of course, the behind the scenes will make you feel really silly because it's a guy dressed like a car seat who just, they, it's just two camera handoffs. They're just done, you know, with the right kind of car motion that they don't feel like the camera's being handed off. It feels like you are literally sailing through that car Mm. and back down the street. Mm -hmm. Then there's that fight in the red mirror hallway, which you don't have to put your martial arts, you know, climax, pre-climax fight scene in a mirrored hallway. Mm -hmm. You don't have to make that (laughs) challenge for yourself, Yeah, but you never see the freaking camera. On any of those cuts, and I don't even care if they just went back in and digitally removed it. Mm-hmm. Although some of them, I I can tell, are positional shots. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that whole fight, I'm like, where, where I should be able to see the camera at least once, you bastard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. <sighs> like it's um, it's it actually makes you mad that you can't see the camera, even though that would com- completely ruin the uh, the fantasy that yeah. you're. In. Oh, uh, uh, what about? Oh, wait, we've got. Somebody just recommended my car shot from the Raid 2. Yeah, yep, I, yep. I like this Batkinson fellow. Mm-hmm, yep, yep, absolutely. And uh, Josh is bringing up the plane crash sequence in the terrible movie, knowing I think it's a one-shot. Yes, uh, I do believe. I, in, in fact, even though I don't remember if I saw this movie, I know what shot you're talking about. I'm pretty sure I've seen this scene. Um, and it's, yeah, it's pretty incredible one. If I remember correctly, it'd be weird if we both misremembering this in some way, (laughs) you know, like we both remember a great shot in that terrible movie knowing, Oh wait, there's no good shot at all in that movie. Um, but no, I think that's what it was. That reminds me of the first time I ever saw Citizen Kane, which was shamefully late Mm -hmm. in my film loving career. Mm -hmm. I think I was in my late twenties and that, that do that pan through the window. And I mean, 
you see that kind of thing today. Yeah. But I knew I was watching a movie that was made a long time ago. Mm. And that, again, I was like, how did he do that? Like, people talk about Citizen Kane. Nobody ever told me that he did that. Yeah. And maybe he didn't even invent that. Maybe he stole that from like Buster Keaton or mm. something. But it's still kind of a like, given the technology at the time, how did you do that? Yeah. Yeah. No <laughs> um, kidding. No kidding. When you, when you see any movie from any era b- before 1950 do something that's like, it's before the era of real digital stuff at all. Yeah. It's it's mind-blowing. It's amazing. Yeah. So, anyway. All right. Well, here is a question I hope you prepped an answer for, because uh, I did not. I do uh, have an answer for this. What is the first movie you removed Sins for? So, <clears throat> I am not 100% positive, but I am almost certain that it was The Grey that we did a sin removal for first. And, but looking back at the emails on the gray, we don't bring up anything unless I'm missing some emails between us. Hmm. There's nothing there saying, oh, that's interesting. You decided to remove a sin, but I, I I do have the script that I sent you, uh, that has my sins on it. And it says remove one point is what it says in the, (laughs) in the, in the script. Um, and so it, and so that has to be the first one because that was what was in my head. And then when I went to go see if it was the gray or not, um, it, it, that's the one that has, I've written remove one point in there. (laughs) Um, the, uh, the, the video came out in early 2014. Um, and it is when Liam Neeson says, you're going to, I, I'm going to beat you to death, uh, uh, all because all over a fucking billfold. And it's just the way he, <laughs> he, uh, he, uh, says that line that it made me laugh so hard. I, I just had to remove a sin for it because it's just amazing. So I believe that was the first one. There are, there are some times that I, I think of some older videos where we may have done something, but I don't think we ended up either putting it in or had the concept of removing a sin at the time. Uh, I think we wanted to do something for Heath Ledger, uh, in, uh, the dark Knight, but that ended up not happening. Uh, cause back in the time that we did the dark Knight a lot of things were just very nebulous how we were doing things. Like, you know, I was sending sins through an email. I wasn't putting him on a sheet of paper or anything like that. Right. It was like sending it. So like stuff, stuff, and then stuff didn't have time codes a lot of times. <laughs> I don't even know how we got videos up back in the day, looking at some of these old scripts. Uh, so, uh, anyway, yeah, I am pretty sure it's the gray. All right. Uh, I like that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. I think we got time for another question. Yep, yep. Uh, what are two movies that, in your mind, are essentially the same movie, but with different settings? For example, while in the car, I had, I had a thought on how Ad Astra is essentially a sci-fi version of Apocalypse Now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I can mm-hmm. see that. Um, the, I can see that. The comparison I've always made is between Boogie Nights and Goodfellas. Um, mm-hmm. Because both movies start off with someone who has a, a horrible home life who goes on to another life that in boogie nights, it's not illegal, but it's certainly non-standard kind of uh, business that you're going into in this case, the porn industry. And in Goodfellas, it's Henry Hill going on to uh, play a gangster or be a gangster. And 
and in uh, both instances the movies show the rise of whatever their whatever field they're in i mean here goodfellas is mostly just about stealing things and 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 it, it ends up with the the height being the latanza heist and uh and then um being told not to get into drugs or sell drugs, but that's what happens to Henry Hill. He gets into drugs and he, and he falls off and he starts doing some really shitty business things towards the end. Boogie nights, same way they have a height that they get to. And then the world of video starts crashing into their, into their world and they can't shoot the films like they used to. They, they really think this is legit films that they're making just with fucking right. in it. And, and, uh, when video comes in and like, you know, people just really, all they want to see is people having sex. They don't really care about all this story and everything. Um, uh, once that starts happening and they start looking for other avenues and they get into drugs, they try to have a recording career, all this other stuff. And, uh, and yeah, drugs ends up being the downfall of, of, uh, Dirk Diggler and Boogie Nights. Um, and then uh, all culminating with a whole, like, I've got, you know, got to go back to the guy, to, to my father figure and say, sorry in Goodfellas, Paul Servino basically is like, now I got to turn my back on you. But in Boogie mm. Nights, at least he gets welcomed back into the house by the end of it. So, mm. but yeah, I think does. these movies are very similar. <clears throat> that's a good call. I mm-hmm. think that's a very good call. Um, <clears throat> I wrote down some shitty answers, uh, like The Green Knight and The Last Temptation of Christ, mostly just because they both have mm-hmm. a character who experiences an extended, I guess, vision of a possible future. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and I also wrote down that I would say The Matrix Resurrections and the first Matrix film. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. Because... They really do feel like the same movie. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Puts me sad. In the uh, um, in the comments, we've got Dora the Explorer and Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Having been on the Sins video for Dora the Explorer, I could not believe how much Last Crusade was in that movie. Uh, it's crazy. It's insane how much is in that. Um, we also have J.J. Uh, Abrams' Star Trek and his Star Wars: The Force Awakens. Uh, hits a lot of the same beats mm. plot wise. Uh, but he says it doesn't really count though, because the setting is in space for both, but you know what? Fuck it. Who cares? Fuck it. And it's a different setting to me. Is, wrestling's real to me. Um, with, uh, with everybody talking about the avatar two trailer and release date, mm-hmm. I would like to remind you that avatar is just dances with Pocahontas. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is very <clears throat> much so. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, guys, that was a show right there. That, that was, was a show. Right. Anyway, uh, thank you guys in chat for coming out and uh, listening to us. Uh, we appreciate you so much for coming out and uh, and spending your time with us. Um, but, uh, yeah, la- next week is The Insider, Michael Mann, 1999. Watch mm-hmm. that shit. It's, it's on Hulu. Yeah, it's on Hulu. I think it's on a couple, maybe a couple other things, or is it uh, just Hulu? Looks like just Hulu, and then you can rent it from everybody else. Uh, long movie, so give so make sure that you have some time. I think it's like two, over. It's like two forty, something like that. Maybe something like that. Yeah, I should know. Uh, I mean, I'm only looking right at it. Oh, yeah. Two hours and thirty seven minutes. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> uh, but this is well worth it. Um, uh, this is no, this is no Eternals type of experience. Um. Anyway, <laughs> we'll see you guys. Bye. Bye. 
part of the live show by being a member of the Sin Club at Patreon at patreon.com slash cinemasins. Chat with us on the CinemaSins Discord at discord.gg slash cinemasins or CinemaSins Twitter at cinemasins and email any comments or questions to recotopia at cinemasins.com. That's R-E-C-O-T-O-P-I-A at cinemasins.com. Yeah, yeah. That was a surprise for me because um, I'm not a big Guillermo uh, guy. I, I, he's one of those that I appreciate that he is a film nerd like all of us. And, uh, but he's never made that movie that's, that's made me go, Oh my God, that movie is so great. I mean, yeah. Pan's Labyrinth is, is up there and, uh, the, um, whatever the shape of water, shape of water is, 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 is decent, but I, I'm not, I mean, and I, and, you know, I kind of liked Hellboy and I kind of liked the sequel and I kind of like, you know, it wasn't, there's never been yeah. anything that's been like, wow, that blew me away. I'm with you. Mm-hmm. I'm with you. Even Pacific Rim. I'm like, yeah, kind of mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's got moments. It's got moments I love, but as it doesn't really, the whole thing doesn't really do much for me. Yeah. He's like, um, he's like a more visually gifted Ron Howard is basically what it comes down. <laughs> that's perfect. Comes that's down perfect. to. Yeah. He loves him some Ron Perlman too, man. Yeah. Yeah, I almost laughed out loud when he showed up in Nightmare Alley. Yeah. I was like, well, got to find a role for Perlman. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of times where Twitter will have some certain actor trending, and I will be like, not going to click on that. Um, especially when a movie is just brand new or whatever, because that's that's how they that's how you get into all that spoiler stuff. Is yeah. Yeah, if it's something where I'm pretty sure it has nothing to do with the movie, I'll click on that actor. But um, I mean, I'm the same way. You just have to go with your gut. I appreciate that Twitter has a way for me to block certain words and phrases, but in instances like this, there's mm-hmm. no way to for me to prepare to block this person's name because I don't know to block this person. It's a big surprise. So mm-hmm. I'm damned if I do, damned if I don't. But it's an interesting thing. They the, this concert they're playing a full Rush album. They're playing a Farewell to Kings on for the wow. the, the six songs that are on a Farewell to Kings. Uh, apparently, Les Claypool's first concert was Rush during the Hemispheres oh. tour. Just so happens to be the first concert I ever went to was a Rush concert. But oh. um, but. Uh, yeah, they do the whole album of Farewell to Kings and, and like it sounds perfect. He almost can sound like Getty Lee. Um That's crazy. With his voice and the 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 guitar sound and everything is just nearly pitch perfect. And I I've seen two rush concerts and I probably was talking out of my ass, but like I the way that was presented, I was like, Man, I didn't I don't think even Rush sounds like this anymore. <laughs> but like I think rush you know uh live probably was probably did do the yeah i don't even know if i've heard many of these songs off of farewell to kings live but um but my god man that that, that was really cool oh man i uh i went many years ago when you and i were working at hollywood 27 um there was a summer or two where coke was sponsoring concerts at um whatever that 
amphitheater was that's gone now. Well, yeah, it Star was, was in Starwood, <clears throat> which turned into AmSouth, and uh, and so they would t- they would give tickets. We would get tickets every now and then as managers. We get a chance to go, and I went to see the Beach Boys, and it was no Brian Wilson, and it was two really old guys, basically propped up on dollies, hmm. and then three young John Stamos looking dudes that I didn't recognize at all, and I had a. I have a pretty good feeling those three anonymous young guys were carrying all the harmonies and singing, mm-hmm. and the old guys' mics were kind of turned down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't care. Yeah. Sounded sounded like the album to me. Right, I, right. I enjoyed myself. All right, I guess we better start. Sure. I sound so disappointed. Yeah. <laughs>